0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number two hundred and twelve, Finance Friday edition, where we interview Kirsten and talk about aggressively pursuing financial independence.
1: I agree with y'all. I was very in my head about the nuances, and I don't think that in you know if I keep the HSA, I don't keep the HSA contribution or contributing to my HSA. I don't think that it's going to ruin my financial future by any means i think i am at that point where it's just kind of like little nuances of things i'm trying to decide on to get me to the place i want to be
0: faster hello 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 my name is mindy jensen and with me as always is my even better than a unicorn co-host scott trench
2: i think there's a couple of really inappropriate punny responses to that but the silver (laughs) lining is that you know (laughs) you can hear him somewhere else i don't know there's some sort of pun there we'll figure it out next time
0: Wow! Scott, I think this is the first time that you have not come up with an amazing pun. The The silver lining? The silver lining? Uh,
2: Aren't unicorns silver? Okay, all right. Are
0: unicorns silver? Scott, you did not grow up as a little girl, clearly. Oh, okay. Playing with unicorns and pegasus and rainbows and anyway. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary. Less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial independence is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting.
2: That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or simply start playing to win, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams.
0: Okay. Don't let that awful intro that I just did ruin this show for you. This is actually a really great fun And my great pun, of course. <laughs> and Scott's horrible pun. This is actually a really great show today. We're talking to Kirsten, and we're talking about how to pursue financial independence aggressively. We are also going to talk a little bit about money dates. We're gonna talk a little bit about different levers you can pull to reach your financial independence sooner. And how, when you're starting off a little younger, you may have more options available than when you start off a little bit older.
2: Yeah, I, I think Kirsten is in great shape. She's got such a clean starting position in the sense that she's got no debt. She's 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 got uh, some savings, and now she, her her challenge is because she's just getting started in her career. She doesn't have a, a huge income, even though she is able to save and has a, a couple of options. But she's got to make concentrated resource allocation decisions. If you diversify when you're just getting started at 22, 23, you guarantee yourself a mediocre return. And I think the big theme for today was that I think she's got an opportunity to play to win and figure out some ways to really drive her income over the next three to five years and really drive incremental investment opportunities, perhaps through house hacking and real estate that might come at the expense of retirement contributions. I think we have a good discussion around that and and, and a couple other nuances of her position that I think are really important.
0: It can be really easy to get tunnel vision and, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And therefore that's all I can do. And that is uh, one of the reasons we have this show is to show you the different options available. And I am just as guilty as anybody else of not seeing other options. You invest in your retirement accounts and that's all you should do. And that's not all you should do, but
2: that's what you should do if you want to be totally passive and get a pretty good, totally passive long-term return. But it may not be what you should do if you're ready to take on the world and, ro- and, and want to go from zero to a million by 30, from 23 to 30. You got to do a completely different formula if you want to have a shot at achieving that goal, right?
0: Right. So I'm that's very the fun thankful part. for you. I'm very thankful for you, Scott, to bring up these ideas that the old and stodgy regime may not think about. My attorney makes me say the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. And they make me say that before I can bring in our guest. So let's bring in Kirsten.
2: we turned to Nerd Wallet.
0: Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products.
2: Before Nerd Wallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table.
0: But now we're flying through the skies for free thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever.
2: So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let Nerd Wallet. Help you make it happen with a killer travel card.
0: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com.
2: NerdWallet.
4: Finance smarter.
0: As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval. And terms of each credit card issuer apply.
4: You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy.
0: Kirsten is 23 years old and completely debt-free. Yay! She's in a long-term relationship and they've started talking about getting married in the next few years. She'd like to become financially independent by age 30 and is looking for the steps she needs to take to accomplish this goal. Kirsten, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hi, Mindy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So we were talking before we started recording and you have been listening since about January and you said something that just made my heart sing. You said, I wish I would have known all of this before I graduated high school or college and my little brother is graduating college in December and I want to share this with all with him. And I'm so excited that you're sharing this and that's such a gift to give your little brother. Thank you.
1: No, and he's really enjoyed your podcast as well. I think I've definitely gotten him hooked. So. Oh,
0: well, let's give him a shout out. What's his name? Jared. Jared, thanks for listening.
2: Yeah, thanks for listening, Jared.
0: Okay, this isn't the Jared show. This is the Kirsten show. Kirsten, tell me all your numbers. What is your income and debts? Oh, debts? No debts. Debt-free. What is your income, expenses, and investments? So, I currently make
1: $55,000 a year. I work in HR for an oil and gas company. I I guess we can just start with my expenses. Um car insurance is about $70 a month. I spend about $120, $150 on gas. My cell phone bill is $50. Um, my apartment rent is $890. This these are all monthly, by the way. Um utilities around $110 to $120. Life insurance is $25, and I wanted to talk to y'all more about that, too, if you think I should have life insurance at this age or not. Food, I spend about $200 on groceries. I have budgeted $150 for eating out. I don't always use that much. Entertainment, I give myself $100 kind of splurge fund, Um, and then I have $150 of kind of miscellaneous stuff, gifts, car washes, I don't know, things that just kind of come up. And then I tithe three hundred dollars a month, so that totals twenty-two hundred dollars a month in expenses.
2: So, and and that's and that's a savings of about a thousand dollars a month after tax yes. that you're seeing. Yes. Okay, great. And what do you uh, do with that thousand dollars? What do you invest in?
1: So, I currently have a Roth four hundred one k through my place of employment, and I have about $15,000 in there currently. They match 6% of my salary. Um, I also have a health savings account that currently has $3,000 in it, and my employer contributes $1,500 a year, and then I'm on track to max it out this year for the first time, which is really exciting. And then I have an emergency fund of about six months' worth of expenses, so $10,000, And then I have a couple of sinking funds for vacation and Christmas presents and different things like that. And then right now, the rest of my savings, I've just kind of been putting into my um, high yield savings account. I have about $3,000 in there right now, potentially saving up for a house hack. So,
0: And what part of the world do you live in? I live in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. Ooh, that market's heating up, isn't it?
1: It is. That, it's, that's why I kind of said tentatively house hack because it's a little bit intimidating for a first time home buyer.
2: All right. And so the the, uh, the goal is to retire by 30 or to have the option to do that. And it sounds yes. like based on that goal, you're willing to go pretty aggressive in pursuit of that. Is that right? Yes. Based on what you, you told me, we can talk about things like life insurance and a couple of things in your, in your budget. But I think you, you run what seems like a really tight ship there. Um, you know, with the biggest expenses that are variable being your charitable giving and your, your gas, right? So I don't know how changeable those are with that. Um, I so I, I mean, we can talk about that, but I think, I think the place to start would be with the, the house hacking side and then your career and the prospects you see from over the next couple of years with what you're doing, um, in the HR work with that. Um, do you have a preference on where we start with with those types of things, or
1: what are you thinking? No, I'm, I'm ready to just dive in. We can start with my job. Um, I recently got a raise at the beginning of this year in January and um, promoted within HR. It's a pretty small company, so there's not really a ton of room as far as promotional growth in terms of title, but that doesn't really matter very much to me. Um, but there is a lot of room for growth in terms of salary increase, I guess, because we are an HR department of two. There's just my boss and myself. So I'm learning a lot just because I'm getting to do everything. Um with only two people, I'm learning benefits, payroll, all all of the things. So I definitely see room for more growth salary wise in the future.
2: How do you kind of think where do you think you'll be sitting in three to five years if you continue on the current track with that
1: i could see myself in the like 70 to eighty thousand dollars a year range in five years
2: okay um fair enough and and so do you feel like do you feel like, like i think that that's pretty good but do you feel like you do you feel like that's the, the track that you're kind of set on or do you do you think you would want to switch at some point to another line of work like operations or sales or something like that um at all or is that something that you think is pretty good pretty good well set up and you're good to go there for the next couple of years?
1: Um, I'm definitely open to other opportunities and other job prospects. I'm relatively new, like I said, to HR just within the last six months or so. So definitely open to exploring other options, especially real estate in that kind of realm. I've really, really enjoyed listening to Bigger Pockets and the real estate podcast and all of that. So I could see myself jumping in as an agent or something in the
0: future. Ooh, I got to talk about this, Scott. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Get your real estate license right now. Um, One of the things that I wish that I would have done is gotten a real estate license much sooner. I've been licensed for seven or eight years now, and it takes a while to start up your real estate agency business. It takes a while to get your license. You're in Texas. They have the most stringent requirements for getting your license. I think it's 180 hours of coursework. So start on that. Um last year was my biggest year and I in November made as much selling real estate as I did all of 2020 working at bigger pockets. And it was a little too much for me. I also have children and you know, other obligations outside of work and all these things. So it was really, really kind of hectic. But if you can sell one house a month, commission is about two and a half to 3%. So what our house is 300000 that's $9,000 extra commission in your pocket. And yeah, there's expenses and blah, blah, blah. You have to pay taxes on that and all of that. But there's that can be really lucrative. So if you're interested in that, look into what it takes to get your real estate license because you are young, you don't have children right now. When you're young, I'm going to make generalizations. But when you're young, you have a lot of energy. It's okay to be, you know, go, go, go. You don't have kids that you're putting in daycare so that you can go sell a house or, you know, leaving with your husband so that you can go sell a house. Um, you could just go ahead and do that. And right now you start building up your, your book of, in book of business. You start selling onesie twosies. It doesn't really matter. You can throw that money into your HSA or throw that money into your four hundred one k or just put it away for, you know, in your after tax savings accounts and and investments. But I think that real estate agency is an incredibly lucrative side hustle, and if you're already in, interested in real estate, it's just kind of the next step if you want to sell properties to other people. So I really like selling properties to other people. I wouldn't recommend just getting a license so you can save commission when you buy or sell one house every six years. I don't think it's worth it then.
2: I agree with Mindy in principle. Um, I'm not sure if real estate agent is the specific one. It's, it's It's a very specific career trajectory. But I will say, kind of just looking at where where you're at and all the options you have with all a lot of this stuff. Right now, it looks like you're making about thirty five, forty thousand a year. Is that right in base?
1: Yeah, after taxes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and you expect that to double over the next three to five years, which is which is, or I, I guess you said what, what was pre tax?
1: Pre tax fifty five thousand.
2: Fifty five. Okay, so that's that's pretty good. But you think it's only going to go up to seventy or eighty over the next three to five years, right? And so that's. That's good. That's not bad money. But if you're thinking about trying to hit the the, the moving target of retiring at 30, right? And if you want to have a family and those kinds of things, then you're going to need to cover more than twenty two hundred dollars a month in expenses at that point. And that and and I think that um you're going to need to do more than just earn that salary. That could be a series of house hacks. That would be one way to generate a lot of wealth potentially over the next seven to, you know six seven eight years. In combination, if you can try, find a way to drive a lot more earned income, that would be also effective. And that's where something like becoming an agent or getting into some sort of sales or some sort of you know opportunity that maybe if it's there's equity at a startup um, in a similar HR capacity or something like that, th- those would all be good options to be thinking about and keep under your radar. Not that you have a bad situation right now, it's just not going to scale into tremendous income over the next couple of years. And you're not quite giving up a ton yet, um, by, by thinking about these options as it, as you would be if, for example, you were 10 years into an HR career with with that. Right. right? And so that's, that's, I think the theme to think about with this is you, you got a great job. You're doing really well. No, no problems. Just, you could potentially, if you set things up, maybe you're selling three houses, four houses, five houses a month. Um, like some agents, that, that would be theoretically possible for you in a way that could dramatically change your trajectory to FI over the next couple of years. And if you're willing to hustle, getting that license in the nights and you know e- evenings and weekends you know will give you a lot of options. If nothing else, a good thing about the real estate agent license is if you're just going to buy a house hack, you can often get about two and a half to 3% of the commission as the buyer agent. And so if you're putting down three and a half percent on a house hack and you get two and a half percent back... As a commission, that's a pretty that's a pretty good reward for that study, even if you never sell another house to another individual with that, if you can if you can do that and you're willing to 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 um to do that work. So I like the suggestion, but I think the theme is is the key thing. If you don't like the agent, there's there's probably other opportunities that are similar in nature to. To that suggestion.
1: No, I appreciate that. I hadn't considered the real estate agent in terms of helping me with my house hacks and stuff in the future. So that's a really good point. I'm really excited to look into that more.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, yeah. So that's that's a good option for you because of the, the circumstance you have right now, and the, it seems like the the willingness to hustle and do a couple of extra things on the side with that. Um, as far as the rest of it, I think, I think you're, you're in a really good spot. You have an emergency fund set up. You have the 401k or the, the Roth 401k. You have the HSA, um, love that you're maxing out the HSA. That's, that's really long-term planning there because you're probably not, you know, expected to use that for a, a long time. Um, and some of the, and some of those things, so I think that's great. And then you're saving about a thousand dollars a month, which is going to, it's just going into that savings account, which is starting at three. So a house hack is probably about a year maybe maybe a year and a half away at that rate um, without additional income is that right? Yes
1: yes and then I also I didn't mention this in my W2 income um, but I also do instacart on the side um just to like earn some extra cash it doesn't earn a whole lot. I probably make I'd say two to three hundred dollars a month but that all goes into that um, house fund as well.
2: Perfect. So you're just you're just doing everything you can to accelerate that first house hack. Now, what what do, what do house hacks look like in your area? What's like the what's what are the options that are available to you?
1: Um I think I could get a duplex for around the mid 200s um if I, you know, looked around quite a bit.
2: That's awesome. Oh, what rent, what would the rents be?
1: I'm thinking I could rent it out for about $1200 a month. So I, I don't think I would be living for free, but I would reduce my housing expense significantly.
2: So that you mean each unit would rent for 1200.
1: Right. so living in it, I wouldn't be able to rent for free, but um, if I had rented out both sides, then you know I'd be making a really good profit.
2: So I mean that that's a great foundational strategy right there. That seems really repeatable. My, my first duplex in 2014, I purchased for 240 and rented out one side for 1150. And kind of in almost a a very similar situation to what you're, what you're describing there. And that was a huge mover for me with that. So I think that's, that's exactly the right, not exactly, that's, that's the exact approach I would take and did take personally, um, seven years ago to get my journey kicked off. I was making $48,000 a year, um, and saving around the same way that you are with this kind of stuff and i got my agent license around that time um, as well so <laughs> perhaps perhaps those are, perhaps this is kind of like this is the 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 scott's story show <laughs> um, with that uh, with some of those things but that that, that is how i approached the situation kind of in a very similar set of circumstances to what you're describing here um a few years ago
1: awesome i did have a question so Right now, I have a Roth IRA set up. I think I have like $100 in it just because I wanted to go through the process of setting it up, but I am saving around $1,000 a month. So should I be trying to max out my Roth IRA as well or just try and get this house hack first and then worry about maxing out all of the other accounts?
2: What are you going to invest in the Roth?
1: Um, Currently, I think it's VTSAX.
2: I, I, I like the house hack fund. Now, now some, some folks will debate, and I'm interested to see if we get a discussion going in the, the Facebook group on this one. But you can you can put the money into the Roth, and then you can take out the contributions, but not the gains, tax-free. And so some folks, I think, would argue that you should put the money into the Roth and just max it out, because why not? You can just pull it out, especially for a first-time home purchase with that. And I think there's something to that, um, but I also think that it's just a little more complexity than is necessary. So I, I don't think there's a, you're, you're making a mistake either way with that, but I think for simplicity, if you're super set on doing a house hack, I, I think you just set it in the, the savings account for the, for the, for the house hack and go ahead with it in a high yield savings account. Um, and you're, you're going to save yourself a little bit of, of trouble, um, from the administrative side without really much in the way of gains. Um, if you're, if you're really set on doing the, the mathematically max. Optimal thing there. You could put it into the Roth, dot the i's and cross the t's, max it, let it go, and then withdraw everything but the gains. Or if the gains, if uh, I think the gains may even be allowed if you're uh, investing in a house hack with that. But you're gonna be you're gonna be risking your down payment effectively inside of a index fund, which is not you know like why bother right? The house hack is gonna produce a 200 percent ROI or something like that. Like imagine you put down. Ten thousand on a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home, but about three and a half percent. I'm probably doing the math slightly incorrectly there. You know, and then if that home appreciates three percent, it's going to go up seventy five hundred. That's a seventy five percent ROI, right? Especially since you're going to get, you know, you you get portion of the down of the um, commission back, so you're saving money on closing costs if you're an agent, right? Then you, you know the you're going to pay you're going to instead of paying 875 in rent, you're going to pay $300 in rent because you got the stuff that the rent coming in from the other side. So that's going to be $500 a month. That's 6,000 a year. That's 13,750 in return on your 10,500 so far. And you're paying down the mortgage at the same time. And that's assuming, you know, average appreciation about three, three, three and a half percent. So that's, you know, I think that that return is just not possible inside of the Roth IRA in normal circumstances and in an average in average conditions, and so I like that approach and why complicate the the the, the methodology of moving towards it with that.
1: Right. Okay, awesome, thank you so much. I was just kind of playing around with that in my head just because I was really excited about maxing out the HSA account this year, and so and that obviously has different benefits than the roth ira but i know in a previous podcast y'all had kind of mentioned that in the future there might not be roth options and so that kind of scared me a little bit into thinking like maybe i need to be maxing that out now while i can and it's still available
2: Well, let me ask you about the hsa why why, why max the hsa at the expense of delay in the house hack you, you know that's that, that's three months delay to your house hack you know is that do we think that's good a good approach with that, even though we love the HSA, Mindy and I? Mindy, what do you think?
0: Well, I am frantically typing in the mad scientist uh HSA HSA article to see what he calls it. The HSA, the ultimate retirement account. So I think that first of all, we should link to this article. If you haven't read it yet, Kirsten, I'll send it to you. It's a great um argument for the maxing out the HSA because that may not always be available to her as well. So the HSA versus the Roth, they're both great accounts. I support them both. And if you have all the money in the world, max them both out. But HSA over the Roth right now, because the HSA will allow her to take out money sooner than the Roth would for random onesie twosie expenses. She can just say, hey, here's all of my receipts. I'm a little short this month, I'm going to take out $100. Or, hey, I had this really big expense, I'm going to take out $1,000. Because it's invested, and it's growing exponentially, she can take out money from the HSA for her qualified medical expenses at any time. With the Roth IRA, she can only take them out for school and the purchase of a house. And I think Health expenses. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's just those three big ones. So it's not as accessible. Um, but now I'm thinking, uh, max them both out. But but with the with the house hack as your kind of immediate goal, I would say I like the HSA option to max. It. What is the max? It? Isn't that thirty two hundred for this year? If you're I think single? it's thirty six. Thirty six. 3,600, okay, so you're almost there, right? You already have 3,000 in it from this year? Right, well, and that's a part of it
1: is from last year. So the 3,000 is just what I have in the account right now. And I was also gonna bring up that my employer puts in $1,500 a year, whether I put in any money or not. So I wouldn't, if even if I didn't contribute to my HSA and didn't max it out, I would still be having money put in there every paycheck.
2: When it comes to financial guidance, you gotta trust the source. Help you make it happen with a killer travel card.
0: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com.
2: NerdWallet, finance smarter.
0: As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney netsuitecom bpmoney. You're trying to save, trying to invest, but your bank account is stuck. How about we get rid of some of those unused subscriptions you forgot about? Trust me, with Rocket Money, it's easy. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Take control over your subscriptions and cancel your unused ones with just a few taps. Create a custom budget, view spending habits, and let Rocket Money negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com bpmoney rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney.
4: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's what I'm thinking though, right? Kirsten, you're, 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 you're planning to
2: win. You've got a great situation. You have no debt. You have $10,000 emergency reserve and you are willing to crush extra work to get to your goal of retiring by 30 early, right? So the problem I have with the HSA, the Roth, the 401k, any retirement account in your situation and for a brief window of time only is that you're guaranteeing yourself a mediocre return. That's the whole reason we invest in VTSAX, regardless of which account, is because it's gonna produce an average return over the long run with that, right? And Mm -hmm. But like, you're willing to house hack. And you know that mathematically, odds are, You know you can always get crushed the market can always go down you can always get you lose with this stuff but the odds on are that on average most of the time that house hack move is going to produce a completely different profile of return that's going to accelerate your wealth compared to vt sacks uh in a normal in normal circumstances and so you know look I'm, i know i'm caveating that a lot with the normal circumstances thing but like if you want to retire by 30 you're going to have to make some big moves and the earlier you can do that the more opportunity you're going to have compounding in front of you and so i i you know that 3000 in the hsa is going to slow you down by three four five months in terms of feeling comfortable with that that purchase i i like potentially even though i would go in exactly the order you're going in take the match then the hsa then max the roth then so on and so forth. If you have an abundance of cash, but in your case, you don't. And you've got a lot of energy, time, hustle, commitment, intelligence, all that stuff going for you with this. I, What I did personally is I, I didn't contribute to any of those things. And I just put it all into the the house hack fund. And that got me going within a year into that first house hack. And that completely changed my life and trajectory. Nowadays, you know, years later, I earn enough income and have low enough expenses still that I'm able to to go through that whole list and then have still some left over, but that is just not a luxury you're going to have for the next couple of years. Um, you will have it eventually. I I am pretty confident based on where you're going with all this stuff, but I think in the meantime, you got to make some trade-offs. And I I, I like for the next year or two potentially going towards the house hack fund. And once you've got, let's, let's, let's put this as a strategy together, right? Let's say that you in the next year, can can come up with 15 grand in addition to your three grand. That's 18,000, right? You put down 10 on a house hack and you're left over with eight plus your emergency fund of 10, right? So that's that's still a reasonably responsible position, even though you might like to have a little bit more reserve for the house hack, depending on that kind of stuff. But that's that would be the earliest you could maybe reasonably get there is when you have about 18,000 or so in your house fund or 15, or something like that, right? Um, maybe a little earlier, um, depending on how 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 uncomfortable you're willing to get with that. But that would be, that from there, now all of a sudden you're gonna start saving after you get things set up, another $500, $600 a month on top of what you're currently doing. And then you can build the next fund for the next house hack, uh, which you can purchase 12 to 24 months later, depending on your comfort level and timeline. And from there, you're gonna be in a really nice position where you have a rental property, a second house hack, Probably your income's going up at your job to a certain extent. You're selling houses left and right with Mindy's uh, agent suggestion. With just, I don't know about that one. But but in, even if you don't have any extra income from the Instacart or the agent side hustle or anything, you, probably your income's going to go up a little bit at, at the job over the next couple of years. And you could be sitting in a situation where now you're saving two, $3,000 a month and you can go through that list and begin maxing them out. And you're just delaying that by two, three years, not because you're buying a boat or doing something irresponsible for not investing, but because you made a hard resource allocation choice of choosing to go after the higher probability bet a little sooner than the the the, the formulaic retirement account approach in the early stages. So I'm, again, I'm not saying I'm against the retirement accounts. I just think that in your situation, the way you're set up, that it might be good to forego them temporarily to get into that house hack and then go back to it with that. So that's, you know, I get beat up sometimes for saying that, but I think there's a certain, there's a time and a place to skip the retirement accounts. And you might, you might be in there in that place. Mindy, what do you think?
0: I think that I will allow you to make this suggestion and I will encourage Kirsten to run the numbers and see, you know, look at it from a bunch of different angles. I mean, that's why this, episode exists to suggest different things because it is really easy to get tunnel vision and I've got it. I love the Roth. I love the HSA, but I'm also in a different place in my life and a different financial position than you are. So it's, you know, I have to remember that, you know, this this actually might be a really great suggestion from Scott, but you have to be comfortable with it. So if you are comfortable with foregoing the HSA contributions or reducing them significantly, Um, that would, uh, I would allow you to consider that. I'm not going to say, no, 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 what a terrible idea. Um, I ran some very rough numbers. A $250,000 purchase is going to be $8,750 down payment on the three and a half percent down plan, plus about $2,000 in closing costs, two to 3,000. So right there is your entire emergency fund, which I would not suggest you dump into a house hack, but you do have the $3,000 in the savings account. And, you know, like Scott said, if you can start cranking out this this money, this uh, the, the, generate the income with the house hack, that could be a really, I mean, you're getting rid of your rent at 875. If you could completely cover your mortgage, that would be huge. You could probably do more than that if you're willing to live like Scott did, where you rent out one half of the duplex, you rent out a bedroom in your unit. Um, I don't know. Do you have roommates right now? I don't know. I live in a one bedroom. Okay. Uh, something else to think about is Airbnb, that other side, and generate more income. And that should have an influence. The, the idea of Airbnb should have an influence on what property you buy. You don't want to buy a property you know, a mile away, but it's $5,000 less. And you know, a, a slightly different location could generate a lot more interest on the Airbnb front. So if that's something that you're considering, if you are at all interested in the Airbnb idea, um, that is, you know, keep that in mind when you're looking. But I really do love the idea of getting your real estate license and starting to generate some income from sales or, you know, learning the market. And I just really like being a real estate agent.
2: Yeah, you know, you know, I was I was a little more aggressive than what I'm discussing as well here, and I'm sorry for bringing in my personal situation. It's just we it so closely resembles it that that's why I'm I'm doing that. Um, but you you uh, I I bought my first place, and I had like I think eighteen thousand dollars, and I put fifteen thousand. No, I had like twenty two thousand dollars, and I put fifteen thousand dollars down, and was left with eight, and that was inclusive of my emergency reserve so i was a much more aggressive than what i'm i'm describing here from a, a cash position with that and i don't know if that's right or wrong maybe i took a big risk maybe i didn't but i also save still still saving like a thousand two thousand dollars a month you could be in position to buy it sooner than what we're discussing here if you wanted to get aggressive with with those types of things um and i wouldn't say you're wildly irresponsible based on the way you conduct your finances with this and the, the debt-free position with that, you might consider building a little bit more of an emergency reserve with that. But like, if you really wanted to get aggressive, you could try to get that agent license, and basically, simultaneously with the completion of that, be ready to buy that first place. You probably would have another four, three, four, five thousand dollars at that point, and maybe that's maybe that's like you don't have to go that quickly, but that would be an option available to you. Maybe that could really accelerate that, and then you have a lot of your cash back because you're putting down eight like let's say this you have thirteen thousand in cash right now, you put down eight thousand dollars and you get six thousand or seven thousand dollars in commission back uh as the the buyer agent with that that's you know now you're left with ten thousand dollars after you buy your place that's that's an interesting spot to be in that that's not not too bad so
0: yeah, I definitely want to encourage you to start looking at the market now. I think it is a, you know, we're in a weird market, but it's definitely time to start looking and considering. And, you know, I don't know that you need to talk to an agent right now. You you can look on Zillow and Trulia and, you know, the the online portals where you can see what's up coming on the market. Um, but when you are comfortable with a property that's being listed or you're comfortable in the price range or you're comfortable with the payments, talk to a lender, find an agent who's going to work for your best interests and um, yeah, consider the, the idea of maybe buying a house soon. When is your lease up?
1: Um, I have another year, so it'll be up in June of 2022.
0: Okay. And do you have a break lease fee in your lease
1: I do, I don't know the exact amount. I I guess that's also my question too if I get an FHA loan or something and I'm able to do this house hack and I know that I need to live in there for you know the first year, do does it matter that I still have the apartment if I'm not living there? or if I can like sublease the apartment?
2: I don't think that should matter too much to you. You can talk to your lender about that to see if there's any gotchas in there, but I think the way I would pop out of thinking about like the the rent there and say, "Hey, I'm if I got to break the lease for 500 bucks or even 2000 bucks or whatever it is, that's in the context of a $250,000 decision." So that's less than 1% of the stakes of the of the purchase of the new property. So I would just kind of try to create think about how do I create a flexible environment. And by accelerating that, even by a few months, I'm probably better off, even if I do have to pay month to month or sublease or a lease break fee um with that. You know, I, I would think about it as a part of the closing costs of your of your house hack and not really as like a, a blocker to the transaction. Cause it's a different, it's a different magnitude of decision, I think.
1: No, I like that way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: It's it's big dollars, of course. You know, it's not that's not, that's not to dismiss that it's a big dollars. It's like more than your monthly spending probably <laughs> to to do that. But it's not it's trivial in the context of the move you're you're contemplating making with the the overall house hack.
0: Yeah, I brought that up because I am knee deep in the lease renewals for bigger pockets, and that is a clause that we are adding. And I'm just wanting to. Uh, more plant a seed. Hey, this is a thing that you need to consider, not, oh, don't break your lease because it's going to cost $2,000 if it's, you know, if it works out. And then if you do decide to break your lease, if you are going to buy a property, just give your landlord a lot of notice as much as you can and be open to having them come in and be able to rent it out and make it a smooth transition for them.
2: You know, I I have a a spreadsheet that I built a while back that kind of compares these. You can use the bigger pockets calculators as well, but on In our file place, biggerpockets.com slash file place, there's a spreadsheet that called that's called house heck versus buy versus rent, and we'll link to it in the show notes here, but you can download that and fill around with numbers as, if you want to kind of think through the math and kind of see, okay, like this is going to make me this much next year, and I'm worried about this lease break fee or whatever it is, that will help you, I think, kind of put those numbers into perspective with within that spreadsheet. So I'll I'll send you that following the show and then we'll link to it in the show notes for anyone else who's interested.
0: That would be great. Thank you. Show notes can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show two one two.
2: So Kirsten, this is this is a really impressive financial position that you've built here. It's I I mean you're you're in really good shape and we're debating not, you know, how to fix problems, but how to how aggressive you should go with your investments because you have all these options in front of you and because you've, you've set yourself up so well with this. Um, just a quick question for some people who are, might be wondering, how are you debt-free? It sounds like you, you graduated um, a year or two ago. How did you graduate debt-free from there? And where'd so, you
1: go? I went to a public university, uh, University of North Texas, and was able to get a full tuition scholarship, which was awesome. And I also took a lot of dual credit and AP classes, which I know that y'all have talked about a couple of times. And I definitely highly recommend as well, just because that's an awesome way to save on college costs. But I think my biggest savings um, or way I was able to not take out student loans at, in college was that I worked for housing at my university. So I, there's a lot of avenues that you can go when working for housing. I think a lot of people just assume that you can just do uh, the resident assistant, which is kind of the person, I guess kind of the mom, you know, that like, oh, you're being too loud or like knock on your door make sure you're following all the rules and stuff. And that doesn't appeal to a lot of people and didn't really appeal to me at first either. And so I ended up working for the housing association. So I was Basically, an event planner at my university for the people who lived in the residence halls. So, I would come up with all these community building activities and stuff for people to make friends and get to know each other, especially those like that first couple of months of college when it's kind of awkward. And so, I was able to do that. And then they paid for my housing because I lived in one of the dorms. And then they also gave me a food plan. So what my scholarship didn't cover was all my living expenses and my job covered all of my living expenses, which was really cool.
2: Wow. That's awesome.
0: How many hours were you working a week as the event planner in the housing department? Oh,
1: they were awesome about knowing that we are students first. And so I don't, I did not work more than 20 hours a week doing all of this event planning. And it was super fun too. So it didn't even feel like work when I was working. So that was awesome. And there were other, some of my friends were housing ambassadors. So when prospective students came to the university and wanted to see what hall they were going to live in the next year, they would take them on tours of the hall and show them all the cool perks of where they're going to live. And they got free housing and a food stipend and all of that. Um, some of my friends were facility assistants. So they would go in and change people's light bulbs, help them loft their beds, like kind of um, minor maintenance tasks that needed to be done in and around the halls and they got free housing and food and all of that as well so you don't have to just be a resident assistant you can also do a ton of other jobs within housing
2: that, this is awesome what a great tip and trick and i just want to point out another great thing about your attitude with this is like oh it wasn't more than 20 hours a week 20 hours a week even approaching 20 hours a week is a lot even it, it, while you're a full-time student with that kind of stuff and something that I think a lot of people would would balk at and you're just you're just kind of talking about it as a privilege to not have to work that much with that to to cover college costs that's that's a fantastic outlook and I think sheds more light on why you're in such a strong position right now
0: Thank you <laughs> okay I'm gonna take a moment to request everybody listening. do you have a similar to Kirsten do you have a way that you significantly reduced or completely wiped out your college expenses, please let us know. I'm going to post something in the Facebook group, a little question up at the top. How did you get your college expenses down? This is reminding me of uh, Julian from Rich and Regular. He would take classes for $25 a semester. And when he said that, I was like, do you mean $25 a credit hour? He's like, no, I mean, $25 a semester. I'm like, you gave them a $20 bill and a $5 bill and they let you take all the courses because he worked at the university. So if you want to go to college, if you didn't get the Fulbright scholarship that Kirsten got, I didn't, look at ways to reduce your, in, your expenses by working there. What are different ways to work there? You can work in the computer lab. My husband did that for $5 an hour. Maybe that's not the best choice. Maybe his, well, he would not have been a very good event planner. He's a darling person, but- Getting people together isn't his thing, Um, but there were probably other things that he could have done that would have reduced his expenses for college. So if you've got some great tips, I would love to know about them. Please share with us in our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash VP money. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, Back in the beginning of the show, you asked about life insurance. Let's talk about life insurance because you are young. You don't have any children. You're not married. Essentially... And I can't figure out a nice way to say this. Nobody depends on you, meaning you're not supporting anybody.
2: So well, well is, is that true? Do you, does no one depend on you? And do you expect to take care of somebody in a future state like parents or siblings or anything like that in the event that, you know, you were, to, you were to die, which is the point of life in, life insurance with this, or become disabled.
1: Yes. So that's actually why I did get the life insurance at first is one of my younger brothers has autism. And so later in life, that's just something I've kind of planned for is um, helping to provide for him in, in different avenues. And so I pay $25 a month for a life insurance plan, and it's, I think, $500,000 if something was to happen to me. And that would pretty much just all go towards my younger brother.
0: Do your parents have life insurance plans or other ways to provide for him as well? They do, yes. So that's kind of why I was
1: thinking that maybe I don't need the life insurance policy right now. Just you know, at some point when he is in my care.
2: That that that's just a fantastic reason to have this this challenge. So this is um you, you, yeah you you're awesome. Okay, so let's think about uh, this from a planning perspective. I would talk with your parents. I think you should sit down with your parents and say like what is what is the needs here and let's have the the cold hard facts of the finances and how this will go over the course of the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years with that and are we in good shape. And I think that $25 a month is a for, for this purpose is a phenomenal way to spend your money if you're, you you after discussing that with your parents you all agree that this is, that that it is worthwhile and would provide some sort of comfort or or care for your brother that that would be needed in that event. But if your parents say, no, no, we got this, that's unnecessary, then I think you can kill it um, with that. But I, I don't think you've got a super high stakes decision here. And I think, well, you, know, you have a super high stakes decision in a general sense, but it's not going to kill your budget from a high stakes perspective. It's not going to delay your, your dreams for your life. Materially, given the expense with these types of things, and it could make a huge difference, um, depending on how that outcome for discussion with your parents goes.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's three hundred dollars a year, and in that context, I wouldn't. I would just continue to pay it. But yeah, I would also make sure that they have, like, ask them. That's a good piece of advice, Scott.
2: I I think that's. I, I think that's exactly the right way to think about insurance and and the right tool pending the conversation you have because. You know, I believe that if you house hack a few times and keep going with what you're doing, you're going to be pretty wealthy by the time you're thirty, thirty-five, forty. You know, maybe maybe re- retired by thirty with with your stated goal here. And at that point, you won't need the life insurance policy because you can you can just designate your estate to go towards the beneficiaries, whether that's your brother, or your future children, a combination of those types of things. But you can use the term policy to ensure the amount that you think is appropriate until. Your net worth reaches the stage where you feel like, okay, the point of having insurance is to make sure that my heirs and beneficiaries are taken care of. And if you reach a million or plus net worth over the course of, you know, next 10, 15 years, then your estate covers that purpose and there's no need for the term insurance policy anymore. So I like that a lot. I think that there's a, that's a good, that that would be the framework I would use to think about it. And I think you have a discussion with your parents to, to figure that out.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. That's I'm glad that my head was, you know, going the right direction because that's exactly the way I was thinking about it. With it's a term policy. Once I reach a specific net worth, then I won't need that anymore, that kind of thing. So I'm glad I was in the right mindset. Yeah. You're you in guys, the right that's mindset. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> your <laughs> that's mindset's not, amazing.
2: We're, we're we're debating real nuanced things here with this kind of stuff because you you've clearly done your homework to set yourself up for this position. So this is great. Okay. And then we had one more topic, I think, to, to cover. Is that right? Yeah,
0: speaking of discussions, let's talk about you and your partner and any money discussions that you've had. Since you are since you have your head so firmly focused on financial independence, what does he think? Have you had this conversation with him? Is it is he kind of like you anyway? Is it kind of unnecessary to have the conversation? So he is an accountant, so I think he definitely has a pretty good
1: head on his shoulders when it comes to money and thinking about money and personal finance and stuff like that. Um, So we have had some conversations already, but in terms of financial independence, we haven't had very many. I've, I've talked about bigger pockets a lot, and sometimes he'll be in the car when um, when some of your podcasts are playing. So that's always, I found a great way to kind of bring up money conversations is i like very strategically make sure it's on some kind of part of something that I want to talk about and like, oh, what did you think about that? Um, I think you had someone else on that kind of talked about trapping their significant other in the car to talk about money and, and I kind of played off of that one. So <laughs> that was really great advice. I appreciated that little tidbit. But um, yes, so I think that we've had some good conversations about money. He does have student loan debt that I didn't have. So that's definitely something we've kind of talked about going forward, like how to tackle that because it's $40,000. So pretty significant amount that I don't think he'd be able to finish paying off before we would get married in the timeline that we've talked about. So it's kind of... I guess my question to y'all is, how do you go about having money conversations when your finances aren't combined yet and probably won't be combined until you are married?
0: Uh, Well, first of all, I wholeheartedly agree that your finances should not be combined until you are married um, or at the very least living together. But then that's another conversation. Um, How do you go about having the conversation the, I would say, listen to episode 157 of the Bigger Puckets Money podcast, where Scott and I talk about having money dates and trap him in the car and listen to it then and see what he says. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and look and see which episode that was, that was trapping people in the car to, or trapping her spouse in the car to talk about money. But you can't just get out. I mean, he's not going to get out of the car when you're driving 55 miles an hour down the road. Um, however... In that in that uh, conversation, we start off by just you know framing it. What do you want in five years? In ten years? How you know if you're talking about getting married, do you want to combine your finances? Is that something that either of you have very strong feelings about? I had very strong feelings about no prenup when my husband, my then boyfriend, brought it up. He's like, "Oh, we should get a prenup." I'm like, "How dare you suggest?" that we are ever going to get a divorce. And that's not the right way to frame the prenup. Uh, Erin Lowry, I always pronounce her name wrong. Erin Lowry said in one of the episodes that she's been on in the past, um, you already have a prenup. It's the divorce laws of your state. So if you don't want those to dictate how your assets are divided, should you separate, then you need to have one that divides it. Now, it doesn't sound like the two of you are coming from vastly different, Financial situations, which was also the similar case with me and my husband. You have fifteen, twenty five, thirty five, forty thousand dollars in assets. He has thirty five, forty thousand dollars in debts. Does he own a car? I'm sorry. Does he own a house? Or um,
2: Mindy, I just I just want to say, like, I, I I agree with what you're saying. It's not that that big stakes to to us from our seat with that kind of stuff. But that's that's a big difference at twenty two. 23. That is true. With that, that, that's, that's there. I think that is, that is an important thing to discuss with those types of things with, with that. And that's, you know, and that, that's, that's, that's years of difference between in your savings rate with that. So I don't think it's bad. It doesn't, doesn't say anything bad about any, anybody or anything like that, but I think, I think you're right to discuss it and think about it and have those conversations.
0: Oh yeah. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't have the conversation. I'm saying that, you know, it's, it's not like one of you has a million dollar net worth and the other one is, you know, $50,000 $50,000 in debt or $100,000 in debt. Those are very different places. But Scott's right. This is still, you know, your life savings right here. And um, what is his plan for paying off his debt? Does he want to pay off his debt? Does he care about it? Does it bother him at all? Does it bother you with his debt repayment or the, the amount of debt that he has? There's just There's a lot of things, but this is also kind of getting into the weeds. The first general idea is, hey, we should talk about our finances. I'd like you to know about my financial situation, and I'd like you to know about mine. Let's sit down. Let's gather up all of our things and sit down and have a conversation and see where it goes. And, you know, does he have credit card debt? I was reading a book once where this woman said that she, like, hid $40,000 $40,000 in credit card debt from her husband. Don't start a relation don't start a marriage with somebody hiding $40,000 in credit card debt. Like get it all out there. And and that should be the underlying theme of the whole first money conversation, money date is this is my honest financial position right now. And it's it's no judgment, it's just here's where I'm at. So let's formulate a plan to get to the place that we want to be here's where i'm at and here's where i want to be i want to have a million dollars by seven years from now i think that's doable especially the way you're going
2: well i think (laughs) i think think you're gonna have to think in a geometric curve right in the compounding nature of things it is it is certainly possible but you're gonna have to take some risks you're gonna have to you know move that move that you know figure out a way to to drive that income up and and do something more than than do a tax advantage retirement account contribution with that but yeah, I think, I think you're, you're going to be doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: well, and if you don't hit a million by 30, you hit it by 31. You're still light years ahead of people who aren't even going to hit it fair. when they're 65.
2: Um. Well, I, I, I think we've covered a lot here. What, what else can we talk about today that would be helpful for you?
1: I think y'all covered all of my questions, really. I mean, I agree with y'all. I was very in my head about the nuances and I don't think that, in you know if i keep the hsa i don't keep the hsa contribution or contributing to my hsa i don't think that it's going to ruin my financial future by any means i think i am at that point where it's just kind of like little nuances of things i'm trying to decide on to get me to the place i want to be faster um and so i really appreciate all of your advice and insight on talking about money you know for with my partner with um I don't know, all of these retirement account questions that I had and expenses. So I really appreciate y'all taking the time to talk to me today.
2: Yeah, well, we really appreciate you listening, um, putting yourself in such a good position with this and giving us such good, nuanced, advanced level things to to debate and discuss with this. This is awesome.
0: Okay, Kirsten, thank you for joining us today. This was so much fun. I'm super excited for all of your uh Opportunities, because there's just really the world is wide open to you, and that's you're killing it. You're you're doing everything right, Jared. If you're listening to this, listen to your big sister. Do all the things that she says, and be just like her. Um, Okay, Kirsten, do you have a joke to tell at parties?
1: I do. Why are teddy bears never hungry?
0: Oh, I don't know. Because they're always stuffed. <laughs>
2: That's awesome. (laughs) I love it. I love it.
0: Okay. And you can find Kirsten in our Facebook group. Can they find you? Are you in our Facebook group? I am. Yes. Yes. Okay. Perfect. We are going to ask a couple of questions from this show. Tips for paying for college outside of the scholarship. HSA or Roth, which one would you max first? And get some advice from our listeners as well. But Kirsten, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun. Thank y'all. I really appreciate y'all having me on.
2: Yeah, this was a great episode. Thank you for, for coming on and thank you for listening and sharing the show with what sounds like your brother and, and your boyfriend. So <laughs> as I mentioned at the beginning, we'll, we'll probably owe you a beer for all the all the referrals to BP money.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, the next time you're in Denver, hit us up. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Scott, that was Kirsten. I want to say thank you for your brilliant idea of potentially stopping the contributions to the the retirement accounts at her age. And there is a bit of a uh, teeter-totter you have to think about and weighing the pros and cons of getting the contributions to the retirement accounts and allowing them to grow so that when you are 65, you have income. Versus having a house hack now, which may require a reduction or a complete stop of contributing to the retirement accounts, but will accelerate and provide income in a small in a shorter time frame. So it can be difficult to get over the old advice, the the past advice of you should max out your 401k, you should max out your IRA, you should max out your, HSA, you know, do all these things, and there's other options, and that's what we're here for. And thank you, Scott, for showing you're a perfect example of that. Like you're a shining example of how that works.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think you know, and and this is not this is not like a new stance I've had with this. This is this is a fun- fundamentally how I think more people should approach life. Uh, really, especially early out of college, if you have that position where you have limited debt and you have the means, I think that taking a couple of big moves, like a house hack in particular, can really change the trajectory of the rest of your life in a way that like, I can, I'm not missing the, the $10,000 or $11,000 I might've put in my Roth IRA um, at 22, 23, even though it'd be great to have that compounding there. I, instead of that, I got my first duplex and that has appreciated considerably, produced cash flow, reduced my rent. It's just been a t- complete life-changing, you know, life-altering path with that. Um, but like one one piece of the pie that like I didn't consider when I was starting out was I bought a duplex, and because I got rental income from the duplex on my tax return, I was making forty-eight thousand dollars a year when I bought my first duplex. But the next time I needed to qualify for financing, I had years of rental history. My income had climbed to, let's call it 70 or 80 from my job over the next two, three years. And um, I had $20,000, $30,000 in rent coming in. Plus, the next property I was considering was also going to get rent. And I was able to use three quarters of that rent to help me qualify for the loan. That's incredibly powerful. That takes my purchasing power from $70,000 where it would have been, and you know, to what is that, $100,000, $140,000, $150,000 annually, um, in a, in a way that I wouldn't have had if I had been renting the whole time or I had been, bu- I bought a house to live in with that. Um, and so I just think it's a really powerful first move. We've talked about house hacking at nauseum around this, but I think. I think that it's better than retirement accounts for certain folks who might be in situations like Kirsten's who are getting started and want to play to win and get aggressive. And you've got to make a choice. You cannot max out the the 401k, the Roth IRA, the HSA, your emergency reserve, and house hack at the same time. You have to make a resource allocation decision um, at some point. And what are you going to do? To me, I think I I, I made my, my stance clear on that one, I think.
0: Yes, you have made your stance clear on that, and you know it's not just you that feels this way. Craig Curlop, and I'm trying to remember what episode he was on. He was on episode 35, and then he came back again with his um, with his house hacking book. He's a great example of how this does actually work in real life. I mean, Scott, you are too, but it's not just you. It's it happens over and over again. I know a lot of people who are in this same position who have had success. Financially, by foregoing the contributions to the retirement accounts in favor of the house hack and the generating the income, and you know, moving every few years while you're young, and it's no big deal to uproot your life like that. So,
2: I think Craig joined Bigger Pockets, house hacked, lived behind a curtain in the living room to rent out the bedroom in his unit of the house hack. Did it three more times, then paid off all his student loan debt, graduated. From bigger pockets, he called it. <laughs> uh, and retired from, from from work, became an agent, sold a bajillion dollars in real estate, and now splits his time between Maui and Denver, uh, at like the age of ripe old age of 28. So, like, good lord, that guy. <laughs> uh, congratulations, Craig, wherever you are. Hope you hear this. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a great example of of this put to great effect and that compounding nature of the the gains you can get from starting with that house hack. And he had to make resource allocation decisions around his retirement accounts and whether or not to pay off his student loan debt, for example. And it's hard to argue that he made the wrong choice uh, in that, in those resource allocation decisions. And we all made fun of him for sleeping behind the curtain, but I think he's having the last laugh uh, on the, Yeah, we teased him gently for sleeping behind the curtain, uh, some of us, Uh, but I think he's having the last laugh now, uh, uh, cruising the world right now. um, And it's just phenomenal to see.
0: Yeah, he's definitely having the last laugh. And some of us weren't so gentle with our teasing, but Craig, it was all in good fun. Oh, did you say Craig's a real estate agent? And didn't I suggest to Kirsten? And Craig got license? his real estate
2: agent license uh, huh. around there as well. So yeah, I think I think there's a <laughs> there's a little bit of a formula here maybe to repeat if you're really trying to to really go after it and make some sacrifices for the first couple of years of your twenties. Um, you might you might have a shot at being in pretty good position. You know, you can repeat it at other points in your life, but it seems a little easier uh in your early twenties with that.
0: Yeah. there's just a lot of opportunities when you aren't saddled with debt. Um, Okay, so earlier in the show, I asked if you would contribute to the HSA or the Roth IRA first. Which one would you max out first? We're going to ask that question in the Facebook group. You can jump on over to facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. And I also asked how you paid for college or how you reduced your college expenses that wasn't a scholarship. So just like Kirsten worked for the housing department at school and Julian from, uh, rich and regular worked in the, Oh my goodness. It's been too long since we spoke to it. Was he in the admissions office? He worked for the, it was his full-time job, but he was able to get his degree for $25 a semester, which is un, ridiculous, but good for him. I mean, that's awesome. If there are ways that you can reduce your college expenses, how many people do we talk to who started off saddled with debt and now they're in their mid thirties, late thirties, they just finally paid off all their student loan debt and now they can get started or they feel that now they can get started. So uh, if you have suggestions for that, please hop on over to the Facebook group and give us your ideas. Uh, Scott, we have gone pretty long this week. Why don't we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 212 of the bigger pockets money podcast, He is Scott Trench and I am Indy Jensen saying chop chop lollipop.